Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, it's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again for a new series. We're doing a little three-week series called Rich, in which we are talking about one of the uh, greatest blessings that can move a ministry forward and one of the greatest hindrances that can stop people from doing God's will. We're going to talk about money and finances for the next three weeks. We're not, uh, we're not asking for a donation. We're not asking for a pledge. We're looking at where our hearts are because God wants to give us generous hearts. And money becomes this great resource, this great tool with which God can teach us how to be good stewards, how to bless the world in his name. Or it could be a great temptation that turns us away from the things that God wants us to do. Back in 1750, a preacher named John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, preached a sermon called The Use of Money. And in it, he said there are three great principles that we ought to hold on to as concerns money. He said you should gain all you can, you should save all you can, and you should give all you can. And that's going to be the outline for our little three-week series. We're going to look, about, look at what Jesus has to say about money and about how we might use it well and about how we want to avoid being used by it. Uh, two caveats that I always share when I talk about money and finances. Number one, uh, if you ever distrust my motives for talking about money, if you think I'm up here uh, with a tip jar, you can give your money to the church down the street, and that's fine. But you still have to give because God wants to work a generous heart into you. So you can't use me as an excuse for not giving because there are lots of other places you can give, but you still have to give. God wants us to develop the discipline of tithing, of giving 10% of our income to building the kingdom of heaven on earth. And from there to also live generous lives caring for anybody uh, we know who's in need. Uh, so first caveat is uh, it's, it's not about this church raising money. You can give anywhere you want, but you still have to give. Second caveat is if you are not a follower of Jesus and you hear me talk about finances, you need to know I'm not exactly talking to you. I want you to see what it's like for Christians to live out their faith in regards to their money. But I don't want you to think that you are in any way obligated to live according to the teachings of Jesus until you want to live according to the teachings of Jesus. In the meantime, I want you to see how Christians live, how we talk about money, what generosity means to us. And so bear that in mind as we dive into this series. Uh, I, I want to uh, uh, point attention to something that's going on simultaneously with this series. We're beginning a class on Sunday nights at 7 p.m. on Zoom. And it's a class in Kingdom Wealth Building. Uh, it's a five-week class on Zoom. And, and what the class is about is we often pray to God to help us with our fin finances when we are in dire need and crisis. Well, what if we anticipate that God wants to supply us with what we need in order to bless and care for others? What if we anticipate that God wants to make us providers for others and then begin to live into the kind of wise preparation that it takes in order to one day be a benefactor, to be a philanthropist, to be 
generous with other people. Uh, we we want to study the scriptures to prepare us for that. So this is not a class in financial management. Uh, it's, a, it's a Bible study uh, that prepares our hearts for generous living. So if you haven't already signed up for that and you'd like to, go to reallife.la slash kingdom and check out that class. Uh, register for it. Uh, it'll, it'll be worth your time. Uh, about an hour or so every, every Sunday night, 7 p.m. for five weeks. So there's that. Um, all right, so we're going to get into a study today. First of, of, the, um, of one of the only texts in the teachings of Jesus in which Jesus has anything positive to say about money at all. Most of his teachings are warnings. Most of his teachings about money are, are challenges for people who are selfish. But I want to look at one text today in which he talks about how to use money well. Uh, as we go to the Bible together, let's pray. Jesus, I ask that you take our hearts and transform them. Turn them into from hearts of stone into hearts of flesh that care for those in need, that have compassion for those who are suffering. Awaken in our hearts a desire to care beyond ourselves, to trust that you're good enough to provide for us and then some so that we can care for others. Keep our hearts awakened to the needs of the world. As we watch the suffering in the Ukraine, as we, as we watch the suffering in, in uh, the Ukrainian people, God, don't let us become desensitized to that. Don't let us become hardened to that and just turn it off or dismiss it. Place in us a desire to care beyond our own world and our own borders and our own community. And as we do so, may we do it all in Jesus' name. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. All right, open in your Bibles. We're going to uh, dive into a text. I love this text. It's fascinating. It's strange. Uh, it's in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, starting at verse 1. Listen to God's word. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So now we know we're in a story. We're in a parable. And the Jewish rabbis throughout history have always crafted parables to teach moral lessons. So Jesus is teaching a lesson about a rich guy who had a manager who was working for him. And the manager was accused of wasting the possessions of the owner. So he called him, the owner called the manager in and asked him, what's this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to, to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors, each of the people who owed the owner money. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, Sit down quickly and make it 450. He cuts it in half. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. Cut it down 20%. The master then commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. The owner of the store 
who is being ripped off by the manager compliments the manager for doing right by giving away his owners, the owner's debts, by giving away things that belong to the owner to the customers so that the customers will like him. And then they'll give him a job. What a bizarre parable for Jesus to tell. Have you ever read this parable before and just thought, huh, I have no idea what's going on here. It seems like Jesus has crafted a character who it says is dishonest. And he's taking the manager's stuff and canceling the things that should rightfully come back to the, to the owner. And then the owner, who seems to be just a lunkhead in this, says, good job, that's exactly what you should have done. Uh, it's a baffling parable when you first read it. But here's what's going on. The manager, most likely, has been marking up the prices of the things that he's selling to the customers and keeping the profits. So, so he's working on a deal where the owners say, uh, has, has 900 uh, gallons of olive oil. And the, the manager gives out the 900 and, uh, and tells the, the customers, well, you're going to have to owe me the difference. You're going to have to owe me uh, the interest on that. And, and so he, the manager is profiting off of the owner's belongings. Well, when the, when the owner catches him, what he decides to do is he says, well, here's what I'll do. I'll make it right. I'll do what's just. I'll now only charge the customers what they would actually owe the owner if I weren't marking up the prices. I'll stop, I'll stop taking a little cut off the top. I'll, I'll only owe them at the correct, I'll only loan at the correct interest so the owner gets back what he had, what he right, rightfully should have, and the customers get a deal because I already told them I was charging more. And the only person who loses, loses out in this is me because I'm not going to profit the way I would have profited if I had taken that higher interest level. And uh, so that's what he's doing. He, he's originally tried to use the owner's belongings to get a higher interest rate from the customers and keep the profit. And now he's saying, well, I'll, I'll knock the interest rate back down. And so when they repay, they're only repaying what the owner should have. And I, I lose out on the profit. I'm not making a profit anymore. But I'm doing what's just by, my, by the owner of the store. I'm giving him back what he should rightfully have. And I'm doing what's just by the customers. They're getting a better deal. Right? They're not getting ripped off anymore. And they're going to like me more. So they are going to give me a job when this is over. So, so the manager can then, the owner can then commend the manager, tell the manager he did a good job because he did what was just and he did what was clever. And that's the meaning of the parable. And this is a powerful parable because it's the one parable in which Jesus shows someone using money well and says, do it like that. Most of Jesus' teachings about money are warnings. But this is one in which he sees someone using finances and business sense well. And Jesus says, do it like that. And then there's going to be four little teachings about money uh, that follow this. Uh, and that's going to allow us to dive into this topic today. Uh, here's the... Here's the first little teaching of Jesus about money that comes after this in verse 8. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Right? Uh, people who don't know God are wiser in these matters than religious people. And truthfully, that has just played out every time. In, in this life, in this world, that is so true. 
religious people, for some reason, often think money is just magic. And they don't think about financial management, and they don't think about stewardship, and they don't think of it as a skill that can be learned. They think it's all just magic. And if I'm generally well-behaved, God will just reward me. But that's generally not how money works. There's actually a skill set to be learned here. Uh, One can learn to manage money wisely and benefit from that wisdom. And people who, who don't think money is magic, people who are irreligious, often do well in this because they're not hoping that some magic balancing scale will appear. They think this is a skill set that I can learn, and by using wisdom and common sense, I can learn to manage money rightly. Here's what John Wesley said back in 1750. He said, gain all you can, gain all the money you can by common sense, by using in your business all the understanding which God has given you. God's given you wisdom, use it. It is amazing to observe how few do this. How men run on in the same dull track with their forefathers. In other words, whatever lack of wisdom you got from the previous generation, you keep doing it the same unwise way. It is a shame for a Christian not to improve upon the lessons that they've learned in whatever he takes in hand. You should be continually learning from the experience of others, from your own experience, from reading and reflection, to do everything you have to do better today than you did it yesterday. And see that you practice whatever you learn, that you may make the best of all that is in your hands. Be wise. Finances are not magic. Be wise with them. Learn, learn the lesson through other people's experience, through reading, through reflection. Take this on as something through which to grow because you might not have learned good financial stewardship skills from your parents or from the previous generation, but you can learn them. Watch YouTube videos, Wesley would have said if you were alive today. Look for reputable sources that can pass on wisdom concerning money and pick it up as a skill. If you went all the way through school and never had a class on financial management, which is how we do education in this country and it's nonsense, take a class in financial management. Take a class from the church and how to plan on living a generous life. Do this wisely and benefit from wisdom. It's the most basic kind of common sense. Here's uh, Jesus' second little uh, teaching on this. Now, be wise. Uh, People of the world tend to do this better than the people of the light. But now there's an exchange that the people of the light are going to make. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, that's a strange teaching coming from Jesus. Use money to make friends. That's not what your standard kindergarten teacher is teaching to the kindergartners at school. Here, kids, use money to make friends. Just go up to all your friends and say, hey, being a friend with me comes with benefits. I will give you a dollar every day that you're my friend. See how well that serves you in life. That's not the kind of standard lesson you expect to hear from a moral uh, uh, rabbi of the first century. But what Jesus is teaching here is that there's an exchange to be made. You can go gain all the money you can through wise management, through wisdom and stewardship, but use it for things that are eternal. Money is temporary. Take money that's temporary and exchange it for that which is eternal, that which goes on forever friendships, relationships are going to last into eternity. Your your house is going to go away. Your car is going to go away. 
your phone and your computer, those are going to go away. Relationships will last forever. When we enter into a relationship with Jesus and we invite other people into that relationship, those relationships go, go on for eternity. Exchange what is temporary for that which lasts forever. It's kind of like this. Back in 2020, I think it was January of 2020, Brexit finally went through and Britain separated, exited from the European Union. And something happened in that moment. Prior to that, the European Union, which is a bunch of different European countries that have bonded together to be a, a powerful, more powerful group together than they would be individually, they all use a kind of currency called the euro. You probably use dollars where you are, they use euros. Well, imagine being right there. It, it went through in January 2020. Imagine being there the month before in December 2019, and you've got a pocket full of euros, and you're living in Britain. But Britain's about to separate from the European Union. And all of a sudden, your country isn't going to be using euros anymore. It's going to go back to using pounds, to using British pounds. And if you've got a pocket full of euros, when the country switches and, and leaves the European Union... Those euros aren't going to be useful in your neighborhood anymore. You're going to have to go to France to spend those euros. And the French people aren't going to like you because you left their little club. You've left their little union. If you go down to France, they'll be like, you cannot have our baguettes, British person, go home. Right? So you don't want to go to France. You have this pocket full of euros that's only going to be useful in places that don't like you. Well, what should you do in December of 2019? You should take all of those euros and trade them in immediately for pounds. Because those are going to be useful in your own community. Jesus says, in the same way, in eternity, your relationships are going to count. The things that you bought in this world are not. Take money, which is of great value, and exchange it for that which will go on, for that which will last. Uh, when, you're, when you're in Britain after Brexit, you want to have a pocket full of pounds. When you're in heaven for all eternity... You want to have a spread of relationships with people that you have loved and cared for and introduced to Jesus. Make the exchange now because the day is coming of the great exit where the wealth in your pockets will not be of any more value. That's uh, Jesus' uh, second little teaching on money here. Uh, thirdly, he'll say, uh, this is in verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. He's still sort of riffing on the parable of the, the shrewd manager, and he's pulling out different lessons from the parable. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? The money that you have is a testing ground to see if you will use wisely the resources that God wants to give you. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? If God sees you being wise with the money that he gives you, he will know he can trust you to manage more. If he sees you using money to invest in people rather than stuff, he will know you are a good manager. But if he sees you using money unwisely and unjustly, why would he make you the manager of anything more? Imagine a child who's given a, 
money to go to the grocery store, and instead he goes to the candy store. Is, is his mom going to give him money next time to go to the grocery store again? And finally, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Choose where you will invest yourself. Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be as well. If your, your pocket is full of money that's only good in France, your heart is going to be in Paris. If you've invested in money that's good in England, your heart's going to be in London. If your heart is committed to the selfishness and greed of this world, your heart's going to be in this world. If you've invested in relationships that will go on for eternity, your heart's going to be in heaven. Now, like a lot of Jesus' teachings, this provoked the crowd around him. The, the teachers of the law, who were uh, religious and wealthy, got mad at him. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are ones to justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Make the exchange. Exchange things in this world that are temporary, that are only meant to be used for greater purposes, and, and invest them in relationships and things that last. So, Wesley's going to take us through three great teachings. Gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. For today, <clears throat> here are Miller's principles of, uh, of spiritual wealth. Uh, these are three teachings that have to do with why we might want to gain resources and use them well. Number one, God has made you a farmer, not a grocery shopper. You understand the difference? A farmer produces their own crops and can live on what they produce. A grocery shopper is dependent on someone else to provide for them. You have been made a farmer, not a grocery shopper. God has made you to be able to take resources and invest your faith and your stewardship in them, to treat them wisely and grow them into a rich crop, which will provide not only for you, but for people around you who are in need. God has made you a farmer on this earth to raise resources up so as to care for others, to gain worldly wealth only so as to exchange it for relationships and for eternal things. There's nothing wrong with gaining money so long as you are using it for God's kingdom. You are a farmer, not a grocery shopper. You, you have been uh, given the ability to take little seeds and grow them into a harvest when you use wisdom and stewardship and faith. Uh, or to put it another way, um, often we'll pray that God will provide for us everything we want. We'll, we'll pray over the needs of the world today. God, take care of, the, take care of Ukraine, take care of the poor, take care of the world around us, and we'll, we'll ask for all that, and then God will only give us a little bit, and we'll say, oh, well, you didn't answer my prayer. We'll, we'll ask for an oak tree, and God will give us an acorn. We'll say, you didn't answer my prayer. That's not what I asked for. But God gives you the acorn so that you can grow it into an oak tree. God gives you a little resources, a little bit of resources, so you can grow them into bigger resources to provide for others. If God if God only gives you an acorn and you throw it away, you've missed the opportunity for God to, to work inside your heart to make you a good and wise steward to grow and provide for others. 
God has, has made you a forest ranger who can take that acorn and grow it into an oak tree. He hasn't made you a squirrel running around waiting for other people to provide for you. So, so go and pursue productivity in this life. So as to be able to not just provide for yourself, but to provide generously for those around you. And in that process, God will grow in your heart a crop of wisdom and generosity. That's why God takes us through the process of being good stewards instead of just blanketing the earth uh, with easy answers to prayers. Secondly, seeds only grow when you let them go. Uh, we practice that here uh, at Real Life Church just as a, as a matter of our lives together. When a Japanese congregation needed a place to worship, we took them in for free. Uh, and we want them to grow and thrive here. And it's not because we benefit from that. It's because the world benefits from that. When there are thriving congregations that are, that are growing and expanding, the world benefits from the name of Jesus being known. And so we, we take them in for free. Coming this, uh, this coming Saturday, we're going to begin providing groceries at our Glendora campus for anybody who wants them. We're going to start our own little pantry uh, with sowing seeds for life. And that's not something that we anticipate benefiting from. That's something we do because the world is better off when they know, hey, the church is there to help us out. The church is there to cultivate resources to provide for the world. Seeds only, only grow when you let them go. Um, I still remember a time where I was uh, headed to a, a prayer meeting in Pasadena. Uh, this is probably a year or two ago now. And uh, I was headed out to my car, and I got in the car. I was on the driveway. I was about to pull out. And I, I felt this sort of nagging voice in my head very clearly say, go upstairs, get $60, and put it in your pocket. Not in your wallet. Put it in your pocket. And once I get in the car to leave, I don't care what I've forgotten. I'm leaving. I'm already in the car. I'm not going back. But I felt this really strongly, so I did. I went back and stair, up, uh, upstairs, got 60 bucks, put it, put it in my pocket, not in my wallet, didn't know what to do with that, but kind of assumed I was going to lose that money that night. That's kind of how God does. Went to this prayer meeting and sat in the, it was really kind of a dark room. We listened to the music for a while. We prayed for a while. And I could hear the person next to me kind of sniffling. And so when the lights came up a bit, I looked over and there was a woman next to me and could see she had tears in her eyes. And I, I asked her if she was okay. And she told me that she was struggling financially and she didn't know how she was going to make ends meet. Well, this was like an hour or hour and a half after I had left my house. It didn't, I didn't remember that I had the money in my pocket at that point. I, I prayed for her. I, I prayed that God would provide for her this week and that, that she'd know that when she was provided for, that it was God who was doing it. And then I, then I went and walked around the room and I ended up talking to a pastor that I, I recognized. And as I was talking to him, I put my hands in my pockets and then I realized, oh, I still have that $60 in my pocket. Oh, I just talked to a woman who said she was in financial need. I was probably supposed to give her this money. So I had to go and find her and then kind of awkwardly bring it up and say, I, I'm only doing this because I think God wanted me to do this when I left my house today. I have $60. I think I'm supposed to give it to you. You're never going to see me again. I don't want anything in return. I'm just, I think God wants you to have this. And I think he wants you to know that he can provide for you in completely surprising ways. And then I left, and I have never seen her again. I don't even know her name. But I believe that when we let seeds go, God grows them expansively. He doesn't put them in our hands so we can be selfish and afraid. He puts them in our hands 
so that we can be generous. And finally, thirdly, you don't want to jam the supply line by hoarding. You don't want to hold on to the things that God's given you because God may want to give you something better. And so you need to pass along what God has given you so that the supply line keeps flowing. We now own a campus in Glendora. One of our first interactions that we had with that campus was when we went and did a funeral for one of the teachers at the, the preschool who had passed away. We began to get involved in the life of this little congregation that couldn't afford a pastor. We preached over there. We visited folks in the hospital. We didn't expect anything in return. and we, we weren't campaigning for that campus. It was too small for us. We weren't really expecting anything out of that. But it was because of those early interactions that a year or two later, they would call us up and say, hey, we want to give you a building. If we had, in those early days as a church, had a mindset of scarcity and said, we need, to, we need to keep all we can for ourselves. We can't give it away. We can't afford to give it away. We don't have enough time to be giving to other churches. We need to keep it all in-house. <clears throat> it would have never come to pass that we own the Glendora campus. And I'm convinced that when we try to hoard what God gives us, it jams the supply line of the blessing he wants to give us down the line. God has made us to be farmers, living productive lives, gaining resources, but not consuming them ourselves, using them to make Jesus' name known in the world. You can gain all you can, but then use it to make the exchange, to give up the temporary to invest in the eternal. Jesus would model this for us in the last week of his life. Well, in, in all of his life. But in the last week in particular, he would give up his mortal life in order for us to have a pathway to eternal life. Jesus would go to the cross at the end of his life, giving up the ultimate sacrifice so that we could have a pathway to forgiveness. When you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you, your sins are absolutely eradicated. When you believe in him, his sacrifice for you on the cross becomes the only thing that you need in order to be reconciled to God. He exchanged the temporary for the eternal so that we might do the same. And at the end of his life, he left a meal so that we would remember his sacrifice for us. At the end of his life, Jesus would gather with his disciples. And giving thanks, he would take bread and, and break it and say, this is my body, broken for you. In the same way, after supper, he would take the cup. And he would say, this cup is a new covenant shed for a new covenant in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. Each time you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. And so we eat this bread and we drink this cup and we remember Jesus' death for us on the cross until the time that he comes again. For those of you who are worshiping at home, uh, if you have the communion elements prepared, you can go ahead and partake of them together uh, and then we'll join together as we continue in worship, let me bless our celebration of communion with prayer. Jesus, take these common elements and use them for your holy purposes. In this meal, we remember that you gave up the temporary for the eternal. Set 
loose in us a spirit that gives us the freedom to do the same. Give us a desire and a willingness to let go of that which we can't keep in order to take on those things that once we have them, we will never lose. Call us to give up the temporary for the eternal. As we do so, may we be witnesses to the goodness of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You can partake of the elements where you are. God bless you. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.